defining the Buddha's teaching in, in a short uh, sentence is, Buddha was saying, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. And he didn't say, you know, I teach about pain and the end of pain, but he said, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering, because there's a difference between pain and suffering. And the word which is used in the Pali Canon is a very well-known Buddhist word. It's called Dukkha. And you know, if you investigate the word Dukkha, it consists of two parts. The first part is Du, and that means something like difficulty. And the second part, Ka, uh, depicts the axle of a, the hole where the axle of a in the center of a wheel where the axle is inserted for, you know, for a cart or for any kind of vehicle to move. And so that means you know, there's a difficulty with inserting the axle into the hole in the middle of the wheel, and that provides a, what we could call like a bumpy ride. And that's a way how we can understand what dukkha means by experiencing friction, in experiencing stress, and sometimes it's called suffering. But actually this stress, this friction, this suffering is not inherent in the experience, but it's the way how we relate to the experience which results in suffering. Because there can be pain, you know, if you have a bumpy ride and you bump your head, you, you have pain in the head. But then if you suffer with that pain, that's something extra, you know, by, for example, resisting that pain, not wanting the pain, the emotional pain or the physical pain that results in stress, in tension, in suffering. So the Buddha, you know, has been creating a, a body of teaching which deals all about that, you know, to be able to come back to the pure experience without adding something on top of it in terms of wanting it or not wanting it or I am being confused about it. This is where the suffering is created. It's created in this response to experience. It's not part of the experience itself. But we create it. It's, it's a creation of the mind. And I have just been on a trip in Asia for the time of our winter retreat and I was in Thailand, India, and Nepal, you know, which are very different cultures from our own, my own ca culture, European and, and also American cultures. And just seeing you know, a lot of, of suffering is very clearly just like a cultural creation. What a Thai suffers about is not the same what an Austrian suffers about in terms of, you know, social embarrassment and things like that. So there's, it's all, it's created, you know, it's created and it's passed down in the family, it's passed down in the culture. So it's, it's something, you know, which has been created and because it has been created, it can be uncreated again. You know, we can let go of it. And <clears throat> the Buddha has been, you know, coming up with lots of good tips about how we can let go, you know. And, and he knows that so well because he really has looked deeply, deeply into suffering. Because it's not by turning away from it that we can get rid of it. It's by fully opening to it and being with it and really fully understanding the process, how it's created, that then we know how to not do this. So it comes 
only through fully being with it and you know paying attention being mindful of it and and a day long like this is actually you know it's, it's a skillful means where we all have the support and the framework and the teachings and the friendship and everything is all geared towards you know enabling us to be to stay open to our experience not shutting down not kind of distracting ourselves not turning away so that's you know that's enough really fully turning to the experience and then going into the depths of the experience if we do it in the right way <coughs> it ends up in letting go because we will understand <coughs> that whatever is whatever we are experiencing is impermanent and that's where the key lies you know for letting go that deep recognition of impermanence and you know we have to do that repeated again and again and again so it really sinks in deeply first it's just an intellectual understanding you hear me saying it but then you know you have to experience it in your own being which means you know you have to experience the arising of some kind of an unpleasant experience a feeling a thought an emotion and then stay with it long enough so you can see the ceasing of it and if you have seen that often enough you know your your faith your trust that this is really the way things are will increase and then it will be available for you you know like on the spot when something unpleasant arises you know and you you, you see yourself who are turning away wanting to have something you know a drink or or this or that turn on TV or do something to not be with it you remember oh you know last time it had an end as well because it has this quality that we think if we have a difficult experience you always think oh it's never going to change it's never going to end this is just another thought and you know and one way of uh, laying out a way of practice is called the four noble truths in the teachings and it's a very well known um template for um investigating experience and they are called noble those uh, truths because they are in accord with reality number one, and they are called noble also because they help us grow you know they are empowering they might not be pleasant you know especially the first noble truth but nevertheless you know because they dealing with the way things are that's why they are ennobling and you know the first noble truth is um, simply saying that there is suffering and and this noble truth has to be understood which means you know it has to be fully embraced and you know, our teacher Archon Sumedha always said we have to stand under it. That means here you go really close to it. You, you just stand under the barrage of feelings, thoughts, emotions. You don't, you know, protect yourself by, you know, just being 50% present and 50% somewhere else. You really go for it. You're really open to it. And yeah, whatever is just in front of you, you are with this, with that moment. And even you, you might think, oh, I can't stand this, it's too much, it's too painful. You can't be with just that moment, you can't be with that. 
to just be with that and fully embrace it and let, let it, you know, move through you. Because our bodies and our minds, you know, they are geared for experience, so it won't kill you. It, you know, the, the body and the mind, they are just uh, instruments for enlightenment, really, if you use them in the right way. This is why this uh, human birth is called a very precious birth. Because we have all the equipment you know, to grow in uh, truth. So, you know, those bodies and those minds, they are made for a wide spectrum of, you know, unpleasant and pleasant experience. They can hold all of it. It's just when we think we can't, then we can't, you know. But if we, if we think we can, then we can. Very simple. And the whole practice is all towards, you know, kind of widening our repertoire, widening our capacity. And that's also why those truths are called ennobling, you know. Because somebody who has a wide, spec- wide spectrum of capacity, you know, who can be with a wide spectrum of feelings and thoughts and emotions, that's a person who is equanimous, we would say, you know, a person very easy to be with, you know, not upset by every second thing and what's happening. And in the teachings is sometimes said, you know, somebody who fares even in the midst of the uneven. So that first noble truth is really the key towards, you know, uh, widening our capacity to be with life as it is. And through that we are very pleasant people to be with and at the same time our lives become much better because we don't feel, you know, inclined towards picking and choosing all the time. We can, you know, if we get what we want or if we don't get what we want, we can grow from both. And that's why we are here. You know, we are not here to get what we want and not get and avoid what we don't want. But we have this birth in order to grow in uh, wisdom and compassion. So that's the first noble truth. And it's really, you know, to be with our experience as it is in a framework of uh, what we call sila or precepts or ethics. You know, because if we don't have like a certain commitment, you know, to certain boundaries, then, you know, it's very easy to just spill out if you have a strong experience to just trying, you know, to kind of get rid of the energy which is racing, you know, through the body, maybe anger energy or desire energy and just go and get what we want or, you know, destroy what we don't want. So sila help us to keep within a framework of what is considered harmless and wholesome. So opening to experience as it is in the present moment within a framework of uh, certain boundaries, that's the first noble truth. And understanding, you know, growing an understanding of our experience. And then when we come to the second noble truth, which is about the cause of suffering, the origin of suffering, you know, getting to know that this is clinging and craving to wanting things to be a certain way or not wanting them to be a certain way, which is actually the source, the origin of suffering. So, you know, if we have, for example, hungry now and we would like to eat now, we don't want to eat in an hour, then 
you know, we, we might start suffering and complaining, you know, thinking this and thinking that. Or we can just say, okay, there's a feeling of hunger right now. There's millions of people who have that same feeling, if not billions. You know, and some of them, they won't have anything to eat today. And I have to just wait one hour, what's the problem, you know? So just, you know, going to the the sticking point, you know, where is that point, you know, which actually is the root of the suffering, you know. And it's always craving and clinging to wanting more of something or not wanting something. Or, you know, fluctuating in doubt, kind of, yes, no, no, yes, and getting kind of confused, you know. So that's what we call the second noble truth and and you know the center of it is what we call I and mine. Because there has to be, you know, some reference point who decides which which we want and what we don't want. We can call that ego or I and mine. Which is actually, you know, if you really uh, investigate, it turns out this ego, this I, is just a bundle of thoughts, really. It doesn't really exist. But you know, this is something which dawns on us through the practice. You know, when you can hear me saying it now, and you might not believe me, and that's, I think it's a healthy doubt, you know, to have. But you see for yourself, you know. Look into your mind and see if there's anything else but constantly changing thoughts. If there's anything, you know, kind of which is truly abiding. Besides the constant changing thoughts about me, 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 or mine, mine, mine. There is no real core to that. But we can take that just like, you know, as uh, information we, we can investigate for ourselves and see if this is really true. Because this is another hallmark of the teachings of the Buddha, that everything, you know, which he was kind of speaking about, you can experience it in your own body and mind. And, you know, it takes, it takes uh, training, like any skill, you know, learning to drive a car, learning to play an instrument. You can't just learn it in one day. It will take a long time, you know, I'm practicing 20 years, I'm not uh, fully enlightened yet. It, I mightn't make it at lifetime, who knows. But nevertheless, you know, I just keep going because I do see that my understanding is deepening. If I compare, you know, how it was 20 years ago and how it is now, I definitely have much more faith, you know, in the teaching and a much deeper understanding just through repeating the very simple instructions of being with what is here. If, you know, if I wouldn't have had that experience, I wouldn't go and, uh, you know, try to convince other people to do it. So I, I can really see a progression, you know, of, uh, you know, just like... Um, First, you know, you stand in very kind of in front of something very close. You can see just a little bit, you know. But then over time, you know, the it's just widening. The outlook is widening, and I can see more and more how it all connects and how it's all uh, 
and my experience is very much, you know, colored and created by my own mind. What I project onto what's happening. I experience my version of the world, you know, and all of you, you have your version. And this teaching, you know, is, is a support to bring us more to in touch with what's really happening. So, you know, first noble truth is all about, you know, being with suffering, opening to it, being with experience, standing under it. And through that standing under, we start to understand it. And then we start to see, yes, there is real an origin for all of this. It's the clinging. It's the holding on to certain views, you know, about how it should be or how it should not be. That's the second noble truth. And, you know, a lovely example from Ajahn Shah is, you know, for example, there's a big boulder lying here. And then, you know, he asks, is this heavy or is this light, this boulder? And then he says, you know, as long as you don't want to move it, it's neither heavy nor, li- nor light. It's just a boulder. <laughs> but if you want to, you know, if you want it out of the way or you want it up here on the shrine, you have to kind of lift it then you might find it heavy, you know. But if it's just sitting there and you just, you know, go on with your life, you don't even know if it's heavy or, or, or light. You have, an op- you know, you have kind of an idea. It might be heavy, but it might actually just be like um, you know, a requisite you use in theater. It might be just very light. You don't know. It can be hollow inside. So that's a, a good way, you know, of how we can, uh, you know, s- step back and and you know be not so sure about the way things are it's not so sure that it is the way we think it is it might be but it might also not be and that you know brings us to the third noble truth which is about uh, letting go you know there's suffering there's the origin of suffering and then there is the way out of suffering, which is by just, you know, not wanting to move the boulder to another place, then we just let go and go on with our way. Then we can just, you know, we don't have to change our experience. We can just be with it as it is. And, you know, another way of uh, expressing that this is... uh, you know, Nibbana, basically. Nibbana is not about living in a world where everything is wonderful in the sense that it is like you want it to be. But Nibbana is, you know, if we are with the way things are, it can just be just for one moment. You know, not commenting and, uh, you know, making some extra story on top of the way things are. That's Nibbana. That's just a, a little taste of it. It's not... You know, that we cannot experience Nibbana just for a moment right now. We can. You know, any moment when we can be fully with the way things are, without resistance or holding on, then we have a glimpse, just one glimpse of Nibbana. And I brought here a little note with me. Um, um, There's two different, you know, and that... that, uh, way of, of speaking about Nibbana, that's, uh, you know, that's a, a view which all three schools of Buddhism share. 
the Theravada, the Mahayana, and the Vajrayana. And I brought two different um, definitions of what, it, what Nibbana is. The first one is from Ajahn Chah. And he says, you know, one moment of awareness is... Now, this is from actually from Chetsuma Densin Palmo. She is a um, teacher in the Vajrayana tradition, the Khaki tradition. And she says, one moment of awareness is one moment of Nibbana. And one moment of forgetfulness is one moment of samsara. Samsara means you know, being caught in the whirlwind of the world. So just one moment of awareness, but just being fully with what's happening right now without clinging or pushing it away is one moment of Nibbana. And Ajahn Chah, he said, Nibbana is the reality of non-grasping. So just being with the way things are right now without grasping is the experience of Nibbana, for just for one moment. And a Buddha, you know, a fully realized Buddha, or also an Arahant, you know, has the experience of uh, these moments of non-grasping continuously. We can have it just for a flash, you know. But a Buddha or a fully enlightened Arahant has a constancy of these experiences. So, you know, we can have a taste of, of that right now. And through the practice, you know, through the repetition of the instructions, we can have more and more of those moments. So it's not out of our reach, you know, this experience. We, we can get a taste of it. And the way of practice, you know, how we can... Um, train ourselves, you know, to have more of those moments is what's called in the teachings the Fourth Noble Truth or the Noble Eightfold Path, which is a path of practice, you know, where we train ourselves in ethics first, that's like the foundation to stand on. And then afterwards, you know, if we have good ethics, then it's much easier to have a collected mind. And then this is the second part of the Noble Eightfold Path, it's sometimes called concentration. And then leading to the third part, which is wisdom, you know. When we collect our mind and we really pay attention to what's happening in the present moment, we call that insight, yeah, or vipassana sometimes, you might heard that word. So we stand on a foundation of ethics, through that, you know, our mind calms down, concentrates, focuses, collects itself, and then we really look at experience as it is without being too much distracted, and then wisdom is the fruit of that. And that's, the, you know, that's basically the treatment plan, because the Buddha was sometimes compared with being like a spiritual doctor, you know, who says, oh, you know, you have, your, your illness is called suffering. First Noble Truth. This is the diagnosis. And then he says, you know, the reason for, for that illness is uh, the germ or the virus called me and mine and I. And, you know, complete health would be Nibbana, Third Noble Truth, letting go. And the treatment plan or the, you know, the medication is the Noble Eightfold Path. 
if you don't do the noble eightfold path, if you don't take the medicine, you're not going to arrive at health. If you just read the book, you know, but you don't do it, it's, it's a good beginning, but you have to really put it into practice. So, you know, the diagnosis is he is suffering. The reason for the suffering is the germ of me and mine, I, ego, wanting things to be a certain way. The treatment plan is the Noble Eightfold Path, and the, we are arriving at complete health with its full enlightenment or, or Nibbana. So, you know, the Buddha was very, very pragmatic, and, you know, we don't have to read all of the books and know all of the suttas and, you know, get very kind of complex and complicated about it. We can just start with the Four Noble Truths. And, you know, they are not so difficult to understand. It's just, you know, to putting them into practice, this is where the difficulty lies, because then we have to bear with unpleasant feeling, and that's what we don't want, you know. And that's why we live in a consumerist culture where everybody is constantly trying to be comfortable and to entertain themselves and to have this and have that and not, not feel. Because feeling is, or wanting to have only pleasant feeling rather, you know. And then ending up sick, you know, in the mind and sick in the body. Because it just doesn't work. You, you can't be a human being and not have unpleasant feeling. It just is not part of the deal, really. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it's very clear, this, you know, human birth, we are born in a realm which is called a desire realm. So we are experiencing a lot of desires, you know, of wanting this and not wanting that. But it's not there, you know, in order to kind of send us all over the planet in search for pleasant feeling. But it's, it's here as a possibility to learn from it, rather, you know. So we are getting it fundamentally wrong by, seeing, by thinking, you know, that we have to constantly just satisfy uh, our desire for pleasant feeling. That's really a waste of a lifetime and a waste of, a, of an environment and a planet and everything, you know. It's, it's a total misunderstanding and it would be really good if uh, more people would wake up to the fact that, you know, feeling is just here for us, you know, to learn from it. And also, you know, if we wouldn't have any feeling, it would be very difficult to maneuver this body through the universe, you know, because we would just walk into the fire and, you know, we would do all kinds of things if we wouldn't feel pain, for example, when we walk in the fire. It gives us a lot of information, this feeling, but it's not just here to get totally caught up in having, creating pleasant feeling for ourselves. It's, it's just part and parcel of, of being a human being and an animal as well, you know, they also have feelings. But it's not about constantly trying to have a pleasant feeling. That's a, a complete misunderstanding. And also, you know, say, speaking about suffering in this way, it's, it's not a judgment on experience, but it's, it's rather trying to really fully 
get in touch with the way things are. Because, you know, what we are at the moment experiencing as suffering, you know, if we train ourselves, if we have insight, those things do change. Because our repertoire will widen, you know, for the, our ability to be with the unpleasant will increase, you know, and that will make us, you know, uh, more pleasant people to be with. And our own lives will become more pleasant. And at the same time, you know, we grow in wisdom and compassion. So it's, you know, you can only win from it. And there's this misunderstanding, you know, that if we open up to the unpleasant, that something bad is going to happen to us. I mean, sometimes, yes, you know, you shouldn't, for example, you know, you, you feel the burning of the fire and then you walk into it because you have learned to be with unpleasant feeling, you probably burn up and be, be dead. That would be a stupid thing to do. I mean, you have to do it with wisdom, you know. But I think that's, uh, I don't have to say that. <laughs> but not kind of trying to shrink away from the smallest unpleasant feeling, you know, and not take on more than you can handle at the same time. Just, you know, when you go to a gym and you do some weightlifting, you don't start with the big weights. You start with the small weights. And then, you know, you put on more and more slowly. And same with the suffering also. You know, knowing what you, not biting off more than you can chew, because that would not be conducive, you know. It would, you would traumatize yourself and then, you know, have even more diminished capacity to be with what is. But just kind of working at it, like learning a skill. It did take you surely some time to learn how to drive a car or, you know, play an instrument. Why don't we put that effort, you know, into something which is even much more important than learning to drive a car, you know, learning to use this human life for the benefit of ourselves and all sentient beings is more important than learning to drive a car, I think. Just see if there's anything else I wanted to say. Oh yeah, that I wanted to say that, you know, the, the teaching about the Four Noble Truths, it's also called like uh, the handful of leaves because there's this lovely sutta where the Buddha was walking in the forest with his disciples and then he said to them, you know, what is more, the leaves in my hand here or the leaves in the forest? And then, of course, they said, the leaves in the forest. And then he said, you know, what I have realized, what I know is as vast as all of those leaves in the forest. But what I teach you is just this handful of leaves, the Four Noble Truths. And this is enough for enlightenment. You don't need to know the whole forest. It's, it's, you know, it's not a bad thing to study and, and so on and so forth. But the most important thing is to just start with the fundamentals, you know, with the, with the essence and put it into practice. That's the most important thing. Because, you know, study and, uh, you know, reading a million books can just be a distraction in itself. You know, you just say, oh, I'm such a good practitioner, I've read all of the suttas, but then you maybe never put them into practice. That doesn't really, that's not a medicine. It's just, you know, reading the labels of the medicine bottles, but never taking it, it won't help. So that's a, a lovely sutta, the handful of leaves. And then maybe another lovely um, simile from Ajahn Chah, you know, where he, because sometimes, you know, we can really feel 
oh, it's all too hard, you know, it's all too much, and I can only be one moment at a time, I can be with the experience, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he was saying, you know, this practice is like an earthworm practice. You know, you're like a little worm in the earth, which just kind of, just sees so much in front. And just choose that little bit, and then goes on and on and on and on. But, you know, those earthworms are very, very important for for so many beings on this planet because they keep, you know, they keep the earth fertile, really, you know. They are very underestimated the importance of those worms, you know. And the same, you know, we can underestimate how important and how powerful it is to just be with one moment of experience, just this one moment and the next and the next and the next, not knowing, you know, how it's going to be. And then if you are in a situation like that, just think of the little worms in the earth and, you know, how underestimated their efforts are. And don't do the same to yourself. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.